Hello and welcome to Running the Race Podcast, a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. This podcast is a ministry of First Baptist Church of Gonzales, Louisiana. To learn more about who we are and what we believe, we ask you to head over to our website, fbcg.net, where you can listen to more episodes, check out our pastor's blog, or use some of the other great resources that we have available over at our site. Today's speakers are Jim Law, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Gonzales, and our minister to students, Alex Ray. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of the Christian faith. In this episode, Alex and Jim discuss its significance, the evidence for the resurrection, and how the empty tomb still impacts us today. Welcome to the Running the Race uh, podcast. This is episode 18, and we're talking today uh, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is Jim Law with Alex Ray. And Alex, I'm I'm just really excited about this topic. I mean, it is the centerpiece of the Christian faith, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe we could just begin our talk today by looking at the significance of the resurrection. Yeah, I think this is, um, uh, when we think about the claims of Christianity, that when, whenever we talk to people who maybe um, would call themselves skeptics or agnostics or anything like that, um, there's a number of different conversations that um, can and should be had when it comes to claims of Christianity. Someone might object to um, uh the biblical view of sexual ethics or the age of the earth or any of these other things. And these are certainly important conversations that we should have, but the most, the most important conversation would be whether or not Jesus really did rise from the dead. Um, when we look at what scripture says, uh, I think Paul makes it very clear that in first Corinthians 15, that, um, that if Jesus hasn't been raised, then, Everything else is pointless. You know, that, that's if I can just paraphrase that. And so that's the, that's the central claim of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. Did he actually do that? Right. And, you know, compared to just comparatively of other religions, sometimes people get in, in this mindset that all religions are the same or right. um, they lead in the same direction. And that really is um, a great error. You know, when you look at... Um, uh, the the followers of Buddha, when Buddha died, um, he died. Mm-hmm. When Muhammad died on June 8th, 632, um, AD 632, at the age of 61, every, to- every year his tomb is visited by millions. They remember his death, uh, remember his death, but do not celebrate his, his resurrection. But when the church, Alex, when the church gathers, um, not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday, the first day of the week, uh, which was begun in the early practice was begun in the early church. We celebrate the victory of our Lord over death and the grave. And when the angel said to the women um, on that first resurrection morning, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who's been crucified. He's not here. He's risen. And that has been the battle cry for the church ever since. Um, and, you know, I think maybe just looking at the uh, significance of the resurrection, Paul really went on record in First mm-hmm. Corinthians fifteen with the essentials, uh, the, the essential doctrine of, of the resurrection of Christ. And let, let me just uh, throw out um, his summary of the gospel. He says in First Corinthians fifteen three, uh, "For I delivered to you as a first importance of priority, right? What I also received." That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. In other words, this isn't a new story. This is a fulfillment of what God has promised from the very beginning, from Adam onward. And that he was buried. That's interesting you would say that. Mm-hmm. That means he really died. He didn't swoon. He didn't faint. 
and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so there you have a, a, a sum of the gospel, uh, which Paul calls first importance. This is what I've received. In other words, some committee of men or didn't get in a room and say, you know, this would be a good good story to give to the world. Right. But it came by God revealing himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and that God has spoken to us in these last days through his son. It says he died for our sins. That's substitution. That's... Mm-hmm. A once for all payment for sin. There will never be another. And then the empty tomb that he third day he rose again uh, from from the grave. Um, he continues on in First Corinthians fifteen. What what does he what does he say about the evidence surrounding this? Yeah, so he mentions uh, um, uh, as far as evidence goes um, and the significance of it. He says that you know if we if we don't if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, then then we have all all people people are most to be pitied because we've basically been going around sharing a lie and we've been we've been living for a lie and and in many cases of the early disciples even dying for a lie and so this isn't just a mere if if that's the case it's not just a mere mistake um, that this has serious ramifications um, and serious ripple effects. Uh, concerning whether or not if Jesus did rise from the dead, then the effects are, it isn't something you could just dismiss um, whether or not he did. And so, so all that to say that it's a serious conversation to have, it's a serious conversation uh, to think through. And, and when it comes to what Paul said, Paul mentioned all the, the witnesses and, the, and mm-hmm. the people that, uh, that Jesus appeared to over 500 witnesses that he appeared to. I mean, just to pause here for a moment, he appeared to more than 500 at one time. Right. Uh, that's a lot of evidence. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of eyewitness, mm-hmm. and and when you think about that, you know, I, and this kind of takes us into I think our, our our next part to kind of lean to is to, to let's imagine somebody listening to what you just said, and they say, well, yeah, but the, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that Jesus appeared to over five hundred people, but why should I believe that? Why? Why? What if I should outright reject the? Um, any kind of authority the Bible has, and that's and that's an interesting uh, question. Um, and and, th- and then if, if someone were to say that, I think the question then okay, what what is the evidence for the resurrection? Resurrection? Why should we believe that the resurrection even happened to begin with? Or do you take it back one step further? When you and I are having this conversation, we're assuming that miracles can happen. Mm-hmm. That's our presupposition that we're bringing to the table. That's something that we are believing uh, prior to having this conversation. And so if you do not hold to that, if you're someone who does not hold to that position, then um, you need to be aware of that. And so that that reminds me of a conversation between um, uh, William Lane Craig, who's a very influential mm-hmm. uh, Christian uh, apologist. And he some years ago, he was having an, a debate and a, and a discussion with a man named John Dominic Crossan, who who's a former uh, Catholic priest and a very significant figure in uh, in New mm-hmm. Testament scholarship. The G- the Jesus Seminar. Jesus Seminar, mm-hmm. exactly right. And uh, Crossan did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And, and at, at, some, at one point in the in the discussion, Craig should ask him, what what would it take for you to believe that this happened? You know, we're having this discussion. I'm putting I'm putting forth all this evidence, all these reasons, all these uh, um, the, the, the evidences for why I'm believing these things. And he asked him, what, what would it take for you to believe? And Crossan said this. I thought it was really interesting. He said, one has the right to say, I by faith, therefore, believe that God has intervened here, which is to say that God has intervened by 
raising Jesus from the dead. But then he adds this. He said, cross and says, but it's a theological presupposition of mine that God does not operate that way. It's such a really eye-opening statement for him to say. He, he's admitting that even if Craig were to provide all sorts of evidences that this, in, this in fact, did happen, right? Yeah. It, that's outside of his box of thinking, of his frame of thinking. And so because it's outside of his frame of thinking, he can't accept it. So our appeal is for those who may be listening that are in that category, um, is to give the Bible a fresh look. Give it a look. Sure. I mean, nothing has impacted Western civilization more than the Christian gospel and the scriptures. And I think to be honest academically, one would at least need to take seriously what the claims of the Bible are. Mm-hmm. I, I was just thinking of, uh, of how quickly um, a culture can change and um, relative to human history. I, I read something uh, concerning Dr. Simon Greenleaf, who was the famous royal professor of law at Harvard back in the ni- mid-19th century. And Greenleaf was one of the greatest American authorities on common law evidence in the 19th century. In 1846, he wrote The Testimony of the Evangelists. The great truths which the apostles declared were that Christ had risen from the dead and that only through repentance from sin and faith in him could men hope for salvation. The doctrine they asserted with one voice everywhere, not only under the greatest discouragements, but in the face of the most appalling terrors that can be presented to the mind of man. So they proclaimed this message to their death. Mm-hmm. I remember reading back in college, um, uh, an apologetics book where it's a, it, it would be psychologically impossible for 11 of these apostles. And I'd be, you could include those who the, among the 500 to go out and proclaim in, in, in this hostile world that Jesus Christ not only died, but rose again from the dead. And he's the hope of all mankind. Right. If it was a, a fraud, mm-hmm. maybe one or two, but 11 plus, Mm-hmm. And I, to me, just to consider these things, um, uh, you know, the Bible has had such a strong bias against its credibility that um, I just think that that's one of the biggest um, um, mistakes, mm-hmm. of pe- people not even giving a hearing to it. Right. And I think uh, that point that you just made about the, the, the witness of all those people who were willing to share that message at it, it, there, there was a guy named Gary Habermas, who is a professor over at Liberty University, and his body of work over his career has mm. focused primarily on the resurrection. And, and what he did is he was a skeptic for a number of years, and he basically said, okay, what do all the scholars, or majority, what are the, what are the majority of scholars uh, of every stripe and color, every kind of spectrum that you can possibly think of across the globe, he looked at that are writing about the resurrection. Uh, I think now it's a couple thousand names on that list that he that he's accumulated over the years. What do they agree on? And so uh, a couple of year, a number of years ago, he came out with what he called the, the minimal facts mm. argument. And so he he's taken these thousands of people, he whittled it down to okay, what do the majority of them agree on? The twelve of them, and the one that you just mentioned about the 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 the, the willingness of people to share their te- this this 
story that was just so counterintuitive is one of the, the, those minimal facts that the majority of scholars agree that these people were willing to share that message, many of whom uh, to their death. One of the other ones that uh, I should mention three. Uh, one, one of the one of the other ones is that Jesus died by crucifixion, and this is something we might take for granted. Um, as Christian, but this is a historical fact uh, mm. that that everybody has to engage with that Jesus did exist, uh, um, and that Jesus uh, died by crucifixion. Uh, Crossan, who I just mentioned a moment ago, uh, he says this. He said that so he doesn't believe that Jesus resurrected, but he did say this. He said that Jesus was crucified is sure is as sure as anything historical mm. can ever be. Right. And so again, that's something that that we're just used to hearing. But from a, from a point a point of historical investigation, um, there's good reason to believe that. Um, and so Jesus was crucified. Uh, it, the idea that Jesus would have just fainted. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But the idea that, that he just would have fainted is, is just unheard of. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen. Um, the other one of the other facts is that the the tomb was empty. Uh, you know, could I go back to that? You know, Jesus uh, didn't faint. Mm-hmm. And I, I think an important consideration on that is he was under uh, a death sentence to the to one of the most proficient and highly trained death squads right. in the first century, uh, the, Roman, the Roman soldier. And mm-hmm. so as John recounts it, that the Roman soldier pierced his side and the water and the blood flowed, which mm-hmm. I think is in an economy of words. Uh, he, he was dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. He really was dead. They were real. They, they, they were not bad at killing people. Uh, they were proficient as, as you said. And so that's, that, that's a, that's a fact that needs to be um, acknowledged and, and uh, reckoned with. One of the other uh, minimal facts that Habermas mentioned is that there, the tomb was empty. And this is, again, these facts are things that the majority of scholars across whatever spectrum you can think of agree on. And, and so when you, think, when you think back to Matthew chapter 28, um, neither the Roman guards nor the Jewish leader could find a body, could produce a body. And so uh, Matthew 28 uh, verse 13, the religious, the religious leader got together and they said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were all sleeping. And so right there in Matthew's gospel, you had this um, this uh, allusion to this fact that the body isn't there, that they're, they're, uh, they're hinting at this, actually outright saying it. And so if the disciples were attempting to make up this story after the fact, um, this is this is a hard thing, which is what some people would say that the resurrection is just something they made up after the fact. Um, this is a hard thing to explain away. Well, how do we explain the empty tomb? And I have a couple alternative explanations that I'll, that I'll share in just a moment. The third one, just for our time today, again, out of the twelve, is that the, the disciples were transformed. That's the one that you already mentioned. And, yeah. and a, a really interesting question that comes up is to say, okay, well, what's the difference between the disciples? who were willing to die for this, and many of whom did, what's the difference between them and, let's say, a modern um, extremist of any, of any religious uh, faith who is willing to kill themselves for their cause? They're willing to die for it. The disciples were willing to die for it. What's the difference? So just to use one example, the, um, the, the, the hijackers of the planes on 9-11, mm. they believe what, the, what they were doing was a good thing. They were willing to die for it. It's not the same thing as the disciples, and and I've had that asked to me before, and I, I don't. I'm not convinced that it is. And one of the reasons why I'm not convinced that it is, is because the disciples 
um, well, uh, go backward. The the hijackers on 9-11, they died for what they believed was true. They believed that what they were doing was right, but they didn't know for sure. The disciples, by contrast, they were willing to die for what they know it true. And, and by, because they were they walked with Jesus. They, mm. they had firsthand experience with Jesus. They were not hundreds and hundreds, if, if not over a thousand years removed from the founder of their faith. And, and you know something along that line too, uh, Alex, is the subjective element here. Look at the fruit of what Jesus left. Right. Not, not a city in flames. Right. I mean, when you look at his work being celebrated to this day uh, and throughout the globe, and the um, the contributions um, of his life, death, and resurrection to this world. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, so it's, that's the, that's a really important distinction to make that the disciples of Jesus knew whether or not he was telling the truth, knew whether or not he actually rose from the dead because they were there. The hijackers of nine eleven um, were not there. And I think the biblical text to to affirm that from Peter's Pentecostal sermon to all the preaching in Acts, right. Uh, this, these were firsthand accounts. You know, going back to Paul's um, arguments in First Corinthians 15, as I think about the importance of the resurrection, you know, he really gives a summary of the tragedy of a dead Savior, a dead Savior who remained in the grave. Sometimes we'll hear people say, if it wasn't, you know, even if heaven wasn't thrown in, the Christian life is worth living. <laughs> that really is at odds with what Paul is saying in First Corinthians 15, where he says, if Christ is not raised, our preaching is empty. Mm-hmm. Our, our faith is empty. We're liars, verse 15. Uh, we're lost in our sins. We're still, we're lost in our sins. Nobody's saved if he's not risen. Uh, he would say in Romans 10 that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Resurrection is so important. It verifies that Jesus was indeed who he said and claimed to be. And that dead believers who have died uh, have perished. And then he summarizes this in chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 19, uh, that we, we're, we're the most pathetic of all if he's not right. risen. So, right. you know, there's no idea of, well, if heaven wasn't part of the package, uh, the Christian life would be worth living. Mm-hmm. It, it you know, the resurrection, if there is no resurrection, it's gutted and we have no hope at all. Right. And so the, so when you think about reason, um, this is what we're celebrating. This, this week is Easter yes. Sunday and we're, this is the very, the, the fact of the resurrection. It, um, changes everything. Changes everything, exactly. <laughs> and so again, if I'm a skeptic and I'm trying to think through, okay, I, if I can't accept that Jesus actually did that, what other explanation is there? Because respectfully, it's not enough just to say, well, I don't believe that. There, there needs to be an alternative explanation, or at least an attempt to try to find one. And, and over the years, there, there have been some that have been proposed. Okay, well, yeah, people who say, well, I, I can't, I reject outright the fact that the, any idea of the supernatural happening. And so I need to find a naturalistic explanation for the empty tomb. Um, and so the, there's a couple of really popular ones that have come out over the years. Um, the two main ones is one that you've already um, hinted at or, or mentioned um, that that Jesus has fainted, that he fainted on the cross, and um, he was buried in this tomb. But then he, you know, he got a second wind, as it were, and then um, he he escaped that way. That's a, that's a hard one for a number of reasons. Um, 
number one, the, the clearest one being that surviving uh, crucifixion didn't happen. Um, and then it, you have to think about how do you get out of the tomb? How do you move a stone? How do you get past the guards that were armed? Also, too, when you think about the, the content of the preaching, it talked about Jesus being the victor over death. Um, he would have been someone who just merely fainted and came limping, bruised up, cut, all these things would not have been seen as a victor over death. I, you know, looking at that victory, it, it also underscores the trustworthiness of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. his identity, his integrity, his, his instruction, um, his power, uh, his death. Right. To pay for sins. And, you know, that really leads us, I think, maybe to a third component um, today, Alex, and that is how does this impact us now? Right. Because we live in a world that is living and dying. We live in a dying, groaning world. Um, and, and and God is moving in this world. Mm-hmm. Paul said to the um, intelligentsia in Athens, um, uh, he he said that, that Christ was was um, was the one who we, we answer to, mm-hmm. and that men and women everywhere should repent and turn to Him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that that message is still operative today. That is the good news of the gospel, right? Um, so this is encouragement in times of grief. And you know, I think as we're looking this just this week, the Gallup poll that came out that in 2020, 47 percent of U.S. adults. Um, belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque. And for the first time ever, that's below 50%. Down down more than 20 points from the turn of the century, just mm-hmm. 21 years ago. And the change is primarily due to a rise in Americans with no religious preference or th- this void. Called call the nuns. N-O-N-E-S, not religious nuns. And so this dropping, you know, I think of... I, I hear things like that, and I think, what what a great, what an important time to be faithful with the gospel, mm-hmm. to declare that there is a living hope found in Jesus Christ. Noah preached for an entire his uh, to an entire generation, and eight were saved. Mm-hmm. Martin Lloyd Jones um, once said, "We're not interested in numbers; we're interested in truth and the living God." And so, I, I think when I hear something like that, uh, it only ramps up the need we have to uh, make Jesus Christ known and to live, live for his glory. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so when we think about how, to, how we move forward, you know, we think about what the implications are that if Jesus is risen, how do we, how did that impact our understanding of grief um, and our understanding of suffering? Uh, and more specifically, how did that encourage us in our grief and in our suffering. Well, I come, I come back to simple statements Jesus made, which I think, um, you know, anyone looking at the Bible needs to consider. If I, if I'm inclined to give the statements of Jesus credibility, mm-hmm. I mean, who talks like that? I mean, think of, think of uh, someone close to you dying, someone you love with all your heart. What what hope do we have as we face that? Right, and I and and then juxtapose that to a statement of Jesus, for instance, in John eleven, the shortest verse in the English Bible. Jesus wept was at a funeral, and in the context of that, he said, "I am the resurrection and the life. Mm-hmm. Whoever believes in me shall live, even if he dies." Mm-hmm. 
what an incredible statement. Mm-hmm. And um, that I do have hope in Christ as I, you know, as we often say around here, we have a life to live, a death to die, and a judgment to face. Mm-hmm. And Jesus Christ is our hope as we face all three of those. Um and so uh, this has strong practical application. This is why why the church exists, right? Right. And I think about um, particularly in a, in a COVID nineteen world where we're, we're looking for answers for why things are the way they are, um, and the the role of encouragement and hope that the resurrection plays in all this. Um, that it is, I, I'm reminded of uh, Doug Rothheis. You do. Um, professor over at Denver Seminary, mm-hmm. and um, he, his wife passed away a couple of years ago from a really nasty uh, battle with dementia. And I'm I'm grateful for for Grothe's because he I can't imagine the pain that he went through. Mm-hmm. He was very public about what was going on uh, through social media and stuff like that. And he wrote this book and and at chronicling you know his thoughts after his wife passing. And he says in the book, he said this, he said, the darkness of the crucifixion is followed by the light of the resurrection. And I just think that's such a poetic and beautiful mm. way to, to, to engage with it. Yet there's real grief to be uh, had here. Yeah. I mean, awful. Lament. Lament. Yeah. lament yeah. And, and, and matter of fact, that's what the book is titled. The, the lament is in the book's title, uh, um, uh, Walking After Twilight, I think is what the, the whole uh, uh-huh. uh, title uh, book is. Um, but how do we lament? Well, we, we, there is lament to be had. There is grief to be had, but it's not one without hope. And the reason why it's not one without hope is because he's able to, to rest in the reality of the resurrection that God is active today. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, not like some sort of deist to God where he, where he wound up the world like an old clock and just left, left it on its own, but rather he's involved. And because he's involved, he's the God that, he's the God that we can pray to. He's the God that we can that we can bring our petitions to, our worries to, and know that He's going to be there. Now, why do we know that? Because of the resurrection. Yeah. And that if Jesus has stayed dead, then yeah, who could He save? Right. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, earlier in our time together today, uh, Gary Habermas and his work on the resurrection. There's a personal side that he shares as well on the hope of the resurrection. Um, he, he writes um, in 1995, my wife Debbie had the flu. And when it didn't go away as quickly as it should have, we went to the hospital for tests. And the first sentence I remember that the doctor uttered to Debbie was, you've got some serious problems here. My heart sank into my stomach and both turned instantly into water. And I, I had to sit down. Little did I know that my belief in Jesus's resurrection was about to be severely tested by the sting of pain and grief. Debbie was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Four months later, at the age of 43, she passed away just after we celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary. I lost my best friend. During Debbie's suffering, I regularly took refuge in the truth of Jesus' resurrection. I knew that the resurrection had a historical, theoretical side, but I wasn't fully aware of its practical power. Jesus' bodily resurrection occupies the very center of the Christian faith. After he died on the cross to pay for our sins, Jesus was raised from the dead. He appeared to many people in his physical body that was now immortal. How did all this help me while Debbie was dying? Well, I imagine what God might say to me in response to my questions about Debbie. He would ask me, Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? Of course you did, Lord. I would respond, but why is Debbie dying? Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? The question would come again. Yes, Lord, but Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? 
I imagined God repeating the same question until I got his point. There was an answer to Debbie's suffering, even if I didn't know it. If Jesus has been raised, then I trust that Debbie will be raised someday too. It was sufficient to know that because of Jesus' resurrection, and because Debbie and I belong to Jesus, then we will be together again for all eternity. Uh, Jaslav uh, Pelikan, a noted scholar, uh, once said, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. What a joy to be able to declare, Alex, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Running the Race podcast. To find out more information about our church and ministry or for more episodes, be sure to visit our website, www.fbcg.net. If you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcast, a positive review would really help us out a lot. Thanks for doing that. And if you found the podcast to be interesting and helpful, recommending us to a friend or family member that you think would benefit from listening would be a great thing. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Once again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.